The following Art Trap production has been made possible in part by subscribers like you. This episode brought to you by Doctor Who Podshock, where supporting subscribers get extra content. Go to arttrap.com slash Podshock supporter to become a supporting subscriber. This episode also brought to you by Audible. Get a free Audible download at audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi With Ken Deep, James Norton, and Louis Trapani Welcome to Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi The show that you may have forgotten about, but we haven't And this is Louis Trapani, and with me is my mate and friend across the Great Pond Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper Hello, Dave Hi, it's uh, Dave A.C. James's online dad here <laughs> well, uh, James could not uh, attend our recording today, so um, he had other commitments, but he's here in spirit, and, and Dave, you are always welcome. You actually were on our last, you hosted our last show as well, which was way back in um, last year. <laughs> yes, I was afraid you were going to bring that up. It might seem to some listeners that I sunk the show. <laughs> No, we just couldn't. I mean, after no one wanted to follow you up. I mean, <laughs> we, where could you go from there? Once uh, Dave Cooper's on the show, then well, that's it. Right? <laughs> it's like it's no one wants to follow Jimi Hendrix at a concert because. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> oh, very nice. I'm blushing here, folks. <laughs> well, there's a lot that happened since our last episode, so we're not going to try. You know, we'll. we'll touch upon all of it but we're not going to try to encapsulate every, every you know every aspect of science fiction in, in the uk that you know happened between then and now but we'll try to cover some of the bases and and one of the biggest news right now is um you know what was big last year this time last year actually i think it was J- july of 2009 was torchwood children of earth and it was so successful it was a five almost at five year a five episode story arc that that was shown every night on BBC. It made a great impact and it even those naysayers of Torchwood that may not have been on board for the first series, the second series got on board for the third series and uh, um, we thought it was a shoe in that we'll be watching Torchwood again this year because of the success of last year and that wasn't so much the case so far, so far but it does live on and it was being shopped around in the US because uh now um Russell T Davies and uh Julie Gardner are both now residing in the US they want to continue the series and do it in the US and I think they first approached was it Fox or, or it was um, one yes, it of the... Yes, it was Fox, and yeah. uh, that didn't go through. So they've now done a co-production deal with Stars, I believe. 
Yes, STARS, which is a premium channel here, premium station here that's available via satellite and uh, cable. Strangely enough, or coincidentally enough, it was uh, one of the... It was the station, I believe, back um, half a decade ago that was showing Doctor Who, the 1996 movie, which, um, uh, which, by the way, just a little side note now, <laughs> if you're interested in that, that's just been um, news has just come about that that's being released in the U.S. on DVD for uh, ever since that's, that movie came out in 1986. It hasn't been available in the U.S. because of rights issues. I don't want to detour too much from Tortured right now. So, yeah, Stars is um, it's coming to Stars, which is interesting because, as I said, it's a premium channel, so therefore censorship shouldn't be so much of an issue. So that means Tortured can really go any way they want, you know, with this new series. It's called right now. It's being commissioned as a new ten episode series called um, A New World, I believe. So it's going to be pretty interesting. We have John Barrowman is back. We have Eve Miles is back and Kai Owen. Kai, Kai Owens, yes. And really, the, the thought that a lot of fans have, because of course, as soon as news like this comes out, the speculation begins, doesn't it? So a lot of people feeling that this with the joint production will mean a, a further injection of cash. Uh, so um, I think Russell T. Davis um, had planned, was it 10? So he was very keen to be able to sort of do the show, but get the funding and do it on his own terms. And although it is called a new world and predominantly won't be set in Cardiff, it at least gives them that starting point, presumably, without, not spoilery, but presumably they get hired as uh, expert help. Mm -hmm. Well, as you just mentioned, it's not going to be solely Cardiff-based. I I think Cardiff will still play a part in it, but it's more of going to be a, a more global series now where CSI Torchwood yeah <laughs> so there'll be uh, new characters introduced I, I know um, Rex is a, a character name that's going to be in the series and yes and that's going to be played by um, oh sorry the new character is Rex Matheson the CIA operative and golden boy highly intelligent and heroic uh, he doesn't at first know what to make of Welsh women and World War II captains but learns to trust Torchwood after, of course, one or two things. And then there's another recurring character, or two, Esther Kazuya, is it? Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) A CIA watch analysis, analyst, sorry, who is Mm -hmm. young and yet not yet jaded, and Oswald Jones, a dangerous convicted murderer. And we'll leave it at that. Well, it's being sometimes it's being termed as a reboot, but I think it's more in a sense a reboot as Rose was in Doctor Who, you know, the um, the first episode in two thousand and five. I think this is still going to honor what took place before, you know, now, you know, the first three series of Torchwood, and and I think it's just going to move forward. So it's a new beginning, and I think it's a reboot in that sense. But I think it's it's not a total retelling of of, of Torchwood. No, but indi- I mean, indeed, I don't think this is going to be a spoiler, and, and most of the listeners will know. But of course, Captain Jack's off world, as the uh, the situation currently stands. So uh, that's well, that's how Children of Earth ended, didn't it? Mm. So I mean, when that ended, when Children of Earth ended, I said at that time, really, the series can, can go anywhere it likes now because it's you know it's no longer uh, well, I obviously spoilers if you haven't seen Children of Earth, but. 
you, you couldn't really continue in the hub where they were, and so they really had no choice. They would have to find a new location if they were going to continue, and because of uh, what happens with certain characters and all that, and who's left at the end of Children of Earth, you know, it would have to be a new beginning. Now, it's just a thought popped into my head, a naughty thought. It's called <laughs> Tor- Torchwood? Well, That's yeah. so unusual. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called Torchwood, the new world. It's not by any chance called Torchwood, the new, 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 new world. <laughs> Well, uh, perhaps that's um, next next year. <laughs> well, actually, speaking of next year, that's when this is supposed to be coming out. I believe uh, 2011, and I believe it's summer, if I recall. The, they had posters issued, which basically had uh, basically uh, artwork from Children of Earth, really, and it just said um, "Coming to Stars, Summer 2011" or something like that. I, I'm not sure about the summer part, but definitely next year, 2011, was on the poster. Uh, and do we believe that stars will get the first showing rights? Well, stars it will be on stars. And what's interesting, someone, um, uh, and I apologize for not remembering the name, someone tweeted me a note saying that, that Netflix, Netflix uh, actually has stars. So if you don't get stars through cable or satellite, you can actually, via Netflix, get stars. So you'll be able to, assumingly, if things don't change between now and next year, you'll be able to watch Torchwood you know, via Netflix. Excellent. So you can, by that, I mean you can stream it wherever you are or... See, Netflix normally operates with, uh, once it goes to DVD, then you can rent the DVD physical disc, but they also do streaming content as well. So this would qual, you know, it won't be available on DVD immediately. So this would qualify for streaming. Indeed. So yeah, pretty interesting. And for Torchwood fans, and, you know, obviously it's a spinoff of Doctor Who. So for Doctor Who fans and Torchwood fans, this is really exciting news and also gives, you know, because for a while there, we were wondering what was going on and, whether or not it was going to be continuing on the BBC, and then there was talk about bringing it, you know, to the U.S. and they were shopping around. And um, as we mentioned before, Fox ordered a they ordered a script, but you know, it, but that's as far as it got. And, and I guess they passed on it, and um, so it's going to stars. I always said, you know, I thought maybe HBO or some channel like that would be a nice home for it because it would be commercial free, and you won't have to worry about censorship so they could really do whatever they would like is that the channel that did deadwood in the, uh or is that home, um home, was it home box office or something it could have been home box office it sounds like something that sounds like an hbo series i'm not sure what original series stars if any that stars has done um i'll have to check into that i stars originally started off and i could be mistaken on this but i want to say like maybe in its early inception stars was a channel that focused on recent classic movies in other words culturally renowned films from the last three decades so i would say uh, and i had mentioned this on dr hupachak like anything from like the godfather on to um you know covering the the like the 70s and 80s and 90s focusing on films like that but now i think that's changed and it's really um i don't really think they have so much of a format so yeah, I've changed my mind somewhat on Torchwood. I, I thought at first they were sort of um, being provocative just for the sake of it, but it's very much the style of the show. If you don't like it, I suggest you don't watch it. But if they've tried to water it down too much, then I think it will just become like anything else and it loses that, that individuality that it has because it was a refreshing show, not to everybody's taste by any means. Uh, and we're talking, if any younger listeners are here, 
Touchwood is is definitely for the sort of sixteen and over age group. But um, yeah, I think the first series. I think I think what your um, assumption is is probably on the mark. I think the first series, a lot of it seemed a bit forced. Some of the um, you know more adult aspects of the show seemed a little bit oh well now that we can do it we're doing it and it didn't really seem some of it at least didn't seem like it was naturally coming from the story itself so yeah i think you do have a point there but i think in the second series it normalized more and especially in the third series it just it didn't really seem like an issue at all what children are worth it was probably right at the top it's in the top five of uh, recent sci-fi dramas i would have thought mm. Yeah, they did a fantastic job with that. So this again is going to be similar to Torch uh, to um, Children of Earth. You know, instead of five episodes, it's ten episodes, but it's it's telling a an overall story arc within those ten episodes, to my understanding. So it's going to be similar to Children of Earth, except for twice as long. And being that it's on stars, it's very doubtful that it'll be you know one a night. Most likely, they're going to spread it across ten weeks, or perhaps even do five weeks and then take a break and then do five more weeks just to even further extend it at least that's usually um the case on a lot of these cable channels right well if, uh, i'm sure you want to move on now but will those be like one hour slots do you think i believe i read somewhere that they are an hour i could be mistaken but i thought that's what i read somewhere yeah. So I'd be very surprised. I would say it's at least there would be um, 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Nothing shorter than that, though. All right. Well, next up is um, something, well, actually something I haven't seen yet, but I've heard so much about it. And I know Dave has seen it. And I know James has seen it, which um, was, uh, speaking of miniseries, which was a miniseries in itself, really, even for the UK standards, <laughs> it was... <laughs> But they were long episodes, speaking of episode length, and that's Sherlock. And even though Sherlock on, on the surface isn't sci-fi, and it certainly is British, though, but it has a lot of connections to British sci-fi, namely, uh, well, we can point to Doctor Who because Stephen Moffat was involved as well as Mark Gatiss, who both have substantial ties to Doctor Who. And I believe Stephen Moffat had written a couple episodes, and and Mark Gatiss was, I know he's um, probably involved in the writing. Did he also do the producing? I think he was certainly involved on more than one level. Let me just have a check. Created by Mark Gatiss, Stephen Moffat starring. Okay, so he, uh, he actually created it. And just, and again, this is coming from someone who hasn't seen it yet, but to my understanding, it's Sherlock Holmes in a contemporary setting. So it's, it's to, you know, it's today, but but everything that you know about Sherlock Holmes, but taking place in present time. Yep. It was a, a, an absolute tour de force, really. I mean, a lot of people were scratching their heads because of this modern setting that they were going to put it into. Really, it was brilliant. I mean, uh, you only, there's only one scene that you have to see fairly early on uh, to be convinced that this will work. If you're a, a reader of Sherlock Holmes in the past... You probably know that obviously that uh, Sherlock does a lot of deductive detective work, and um, one of the classic ones is where um, is it looking at, at somebody's fob watch, and from that he deduces that you know he's uh, a gambler and a drunkard, and he's now divorced, and this, that, and the other, and so on. In a direct parallel to that, that the everyday object that current people carry around is not a fob watch, but it's a mobile phone, and in borrowing uh, Watson's mobile phone. 
Watson says, well, you don't know anything about me. And he lists all these things he knows about him from what he's deduced from looking at that one object, that you know, an intimate object that he carried. So um, once you've seen that, you're convinced about it. The other thing that, and this is, uh, I'll mention Ian the Sixth Doctor in this, the fact that they don't drive, in, when you watch the story, they jump from cab to cab, which is a direct parallel, of course, of them uh, jumping uh, into handsome cabs in the original. I've got a little clip of the intro, just a few words, it won't give you any, uh, you know, any spoilers, but it'll give you an idea of the start. John, you're a soldier. It's going to take you a while to adjust to civilian life. And writing a blog about everything that happens to you will honestly help you. Nothing happens to me. day version of him writing Sherlock Holmes's articles up as in the original stories is of course is the suggestion he keeps for his own convalescence a blog and that's how mm -hmm. uh, and of course there's a very dramatic quick meet up and uh, basically uh, it, it absolutely flies from the off there was perhaps only one contentious issue that some people weren't sure whether they liked the idea of not is that um, Sherlock Holmes doesn't like using the phone as a phone, so he tends to use it as a text device. So he's using an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when he uses it, the actual words that he's typing don't come up on the screen of the phone. They actually come up onto the screen of the TV. So they're so overlaid. Sort of like in the lower third? No, no, no. They're, they're sort of, uh, in a very Overlay. artistic way, they sort of waft mm -hmm. up and uh, fade in and fade out. Mm. That's interesting. There are a couple of other scenes. If you remember from uh, Doctor Who, the, um, the the very first episode of the Matt Smith one at the 11th hour, mm -hmm. where they do the scene on the uh, the common where everybody but one person's looking at the spaceship and they sure. do a strange camera, uh, yeah. you know, David Hockney sort of uh, mm -hmm. grouping. They do a similar thing to that, but a l toned down to quite some extent. When um, there's one particular thing where um, he's explaining to a detective that uh, this person couldn't have committed suicide because this gunshot wound is to their right side, their right forehead, and is patently this man is left-handed. And the policeman says, how do you know that? And then they go around the room in a sequence of little things, you know, the, the, the way he butters his knife, the, the way the, the, the desk pad is next to the phone, and so on and so on and so on. Once you see them, you think, oh, it's obvious. But, of course, that's the brilliance of any Sherlock Holmes and getting into the mind's eye of it is that um, what seems insoluble when explained and logically explained, they don't cheat. It, it seems to fit and work. Hmm. Well, another connection that uh, that this series has with Doctor Who is that uh, Matt Smith, who is the principal in Doctor Who, plays the Doctor, uh, supposedly had read for the part of Watson 
So that's a connection there. And the principal actor here that plays Sherlock, who I don't have... What's his name again? Cumberbund. Benedict. Sorry, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. And supposedly he had originally read for the Doctor. No. And for Doctor Who. No, no, that was the rumor going down. That was the rumor? He was so Doctor-like. He said, no, he he wouldn't have wanted the part. And... um, the, but did the, he try for it? Or no. He, okay, so that was just a rumour. I think his agent wanted him to go for it, but he didn't want to. He, his, um, his quote, and he was in, it was in my Sunday Times paper a couple of weeks ago, that um, uh, he and I hope this isn't a slight to uh, Matt Smith, he said, I couldn't see myself running up on stage and shouting, I am the Doctor. And, um, and then five weeks later, having his face on children's lunch boxes and toys and so on. So, well, well, you know, it takes a certain actor or a certain type of person that, that you know, that's, that can do Doctor Who, that, you know, you, you know, as the principal in Doctor Who, you're, you, you, you are going to be a lunchbox and you are going to be a plastic figurine. And it just goes with the, goes with the territory, goes with the job. So there's some actors that rather not go into that and others that, you know, this is Doctor Who. Well, it's, it's sort of like Sherlock Holmes. It's, it's a legendary part, you know, it, it's yeah. a tradition, yeah. And another connection, not to Dot Who, but to other British science fiction, of course, is that uh, Martin Freeman was in the film The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, he, he played um, Arthur. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always the case with uh, British acting. We have this pool of very talented actors, but it's a finite pool. So you do find people, you know, the quality rising to the top. I mean, like, um, oh, who can I say? No, I won't say it because we haven't got to it yet, but uh, there are definitely actors who you see reappear. And, of course, Mm -hmm. if they have got the talent, you you almost have watched half an hour before you realise it's an actor from something else because they're not playing themselves. British actors don't go into a TV series to play themselves. Well, Tom might. (laughs) Tom Baker (laughs) might. But basically, they they feel of themselves as character actors, my dear, character actors. But there are lots and lots of links. Well, well, speaking of that, and and this again isn't British sci-fi, but it does have a it's connected to British science fiction. Is um, I had gotten this a while ago this this episode, and someone had given me a copy of it, and I just like had it for years, and I just never got around to watching it, whatever. And I finally said, oh, you know what, let's. I didn't even know what it was about. I forgot what it was about. And it was a show, it was an episode from a daytime British series called The Doctors, or maybe it was just called Doctors. And Sylvester McCoy was a guest star in this particular episode, and he was playing a part of a, um, he was almost playing delus- himself. He was playing a delusional man, wasn't he? I suppose. No, well, he he was playing someone. Um, he was playing a an actor in this part of, and he was from um, an actor from a famous uh, British sci-fi series, <laughs> and, <laughs> which um, people have seemed to have um, you know dismissed and made a joke of and all that. And it's um it's it's pretty in- it's pretty interesting. You know, they they did a good job there where he was playing a, a time traveler. You know, where you know he, he's an actor that had was in this previous, you know, fictional series called, uh, I forgot what it was called, but uh, he time-traveled in it, 
So there was inferences. Oh, oh, and there's a scene in it where he's he's at the he's at the medical center, and he, and Stone, I know you aren't you John Pertwee. <laughs> so, there, I mean, he was mistaken for John Pertwee in the scene. So, it's uh, there's a lot of little inside jabs there, and if you're, it's it's, I don't know if it's available elsewhere, but someone else told me there was another. I think Colin Baker played, and I didn't see this. Colin Baker also was. Um, uh, in the series, I think he's been in Casualty, uh, but he might have been in the Doctors as well. So there is that uh, cross uh, thing. But one thing uh, before you want to move on, I must mention that Mark Gatiss plays an excellent part in this. Now, I'm not sure whether I should say what part he plays because there's a little bit of a red herring in the character mm-hmm. who he's playing. And uh, all is not what it appears. So, so we avoid spoilers. All I will say is Mark Gatiss is absolutely stunningly good in this. I mean, I, I did like him in um, in his episode of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. the Lazarus Experiment. Yes. The only thing I didn't like about the Lazarus Experiment was the the CGI monster that they had. Yeah. But um, he, well, some people were disappointed that he was in it only because they feel well. Because a lot of people were holding out hope that maybe one time he'll play the Doctor, and and if you ever seen um there, there was uh, in 1999 he and um uh, what's his face Williams um um the comedian something oh, Williams oh yes uh yes uh David Will David David Williams it isn't it yeah it's something to that I, yeah. I'm terrible today with names for some reason I've only had one cup of coffee so ah there you are <laughs> my, my brain hasn't been jump started yet elementary so. my dear Watson solved already. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, back in 1909, the, the two of them did a series of um, humorous sketches on Doctor Who. It was on uh, Doctor Who Night, which the BBC, the BBC was showing several Doctor Who stories, and in between they would uh, have these original um, shorts. And uh, one of them was uh, the, the the caves of the, the web of caves, I think was called. And <laughs> Um, and Mark Gatiss plays the Doctor in it in itself. So if you ever want to see Mark Gatiss as the Doctor, and even if you don't, it's just it's just funny. So um, oh, you know what? They are available on DVD. They were they were in the um, um, the the set that contains the Unearthly Child. So if you have that Unearthly Child uh, DVD, then it's avail- It's on that DVD. Uh, w- w- I mean, there's lots of nice touches. Uh, again, you'll probably want to move on. But for instance, in, instead of uh, Holmes having a pipe he, he, uh, and taking drugs, he wears nicotine patches. But of course, because <laughs> he's, he's addicted to them, he has. You know, is this a problem? A five nicotine patch or a four nicotine patch problem? So, it is a, a very well done production, and I would urge people. Um, to, to look out for it if they find a way to do so. And if it comes out on DVD, absolutely um, a, a no-brainer to buy that. I haven't heard anyone say anything negative about it, so I, I would say it's um, you know very high-praised, so catch it if you can. It's, <laughs> um, it's just called Sherlock. It's not Sherlock Holmes. It's just, it's just Sherlock. Yeah. And it's been commissioned for a second series already. I mean, the, we should explain that there was only three episodes right but they were 90 minutes each so now there's uh james was telling us in a recent doctor who podcast episode that uh it's been commissioned for next year i think and it's going to be um they're going to be longer but shorter episodes so maybe an hour long but more episodes yeah i would hope they go to at least six 
But, I mean, th- th- there is a, not a linking theme, but there are clues dropped, and I don't mean Saxon-type clues, but, you know, there are clues, but there are three individual stories. Of course, the first one, there is um, a lot to build up because you're actually trying to establish the whole storyline, but... Um, just to look out for, and I won't say where and in which one, but if you remember the fires of Pompeii, Doctor Who, there's an actor that appeared in that. He's also played Steptoe in um, in one of the Cult of Steptoe. Uh, he makes an appearance as uh, uh, as one of the characters in Sherlock. So uh, again, that's another cross pollination of stories. Mm-hmm. Well, in another related matter where it's, I'm not sure if it's directly uh, British sci-fi, but it's definitely British and it relates to someone that has a significant role in British science fiction, which is Douglas Adams. Uh, it's just been recently announced that his um, that, that his work, uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, is coming to BBC. I have to be honest that I have, I'm not really familiar with, with this you know, work by Douglas Adams. But for those that, that don't know, Douglas Adams is the creator of our namesake, partially, <laughs> The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Outside of that, I know Douglas Adams has written out, you know, other works outside of Hitchhikers. So, um, and I think this is one of them. And it deals with a, um, a, a well, to quote the article, is a, uh, Dirk Gently is a portly private detective who specializes in his own odd form of crime solving, which more often than not involves considerable amount of guesswork and running up vast expense accounts. That sounds very much like Douglas Adams <laughs> under a flimsy pretext. Do you know anything about it? No, my, uh, but my son was an avid reader of it, Matthew. He, he, uh, oh, really? He loves all that sort of stuff. Yes, um, it's definitely... I mean, there have been some radio... Uh, uh, version of it uh, on BBC Seven, I believe, which mm-hmm. I haven't caught much of. What I'm fascinated to think of, and we're talking about casting before, who they might get to play the part. I've even compiled my own little shortlist. Now, some people might think that Nick Briggs is getting a bit big for his boots, but I can see him as a portly detective. He's somewhat, you know, if it's in the um, the style of the. Um, Mickey Spillane type ones, you know, they're sort of slightly overweight, slightly past his prime, slightly seedy. And I'm not saying Nick Briggs, I'm not saying you're like that. But I, think <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think you wouldn't need to put on a few pounds. Yeah, I think, but I think he could play that character. Or somebody like Simon Pegg, maybe. Or even, I'm hoping people know these names when I mention them, Alan Davis. Or even Bill Bailey, if you know of Bill Bailey. There's the, the sort of comics that mm-hmm. come on QI, the one that's hosted by Stephen Fry. So, again, you know, there's lots of people that they could get to play it. I'm pausing for time because I'm trying to find the radio because they've just done it on the, well, the radio. Wh- while you're doing that, I'll say that this is going to be a one-off BBC pilot and their air date hasn't been set yet, nor, nor as you just implied, there's no casting that has been set yet. We'll keep you, you know, to, we'll keep you up to date on it as news comes out. But it's... um. It's interesting seeing. I mean, the other work that uh, Douglas Adams is known for is um, he did Titanic as well, which was um, dealt with a lot of the bureaucracy of, um, of well, and and this is also in, hitch- in Hitchhikers too. So, you know, when when, um, when I read that, you know, it's you know this detective runs up vast expense accounts and uh, you know. <laughs> 
it just it just sounds very much like um, Douglas Adams. Right, I have found the reference. It actually, it, it must have been made some time ago, but it must have had a, a re-airing recently. That's why it actually came out in October 2007, and it was Harry Enfield who played the lead role in that, uh, who uh, I don't know whether all the American fans will have heard of him, but he's, uh, again, one of the stock British uh, comedians. He used to do a... Uh, a sketch about a bloke with loads of money when it when we're in the where you had uh, uh, gecko and uh, you know greed is good we couldn't do that in the uk we had somebody sending that up and he had this character called loads of money and all he was interested in was his fast cars and his money but it was it was a, a british low rent version of uh, gecko so uh, but um that was done on radio it must have been done i suppose no he's probably Probably too much slapstick to play the part of this, but that was a series of six 30-minute episodes that appeared on the BBC Radio 7. And a very quick shout-out, one of the things about um, the BBC Radio, it isn't region-locked, so if you're ever looking out for a very high-class drama, audio drama, of course, if you've just happened to have run out of your supply of Doctor Who Podshocks to listen to, then catch uh, BBC Radio 7. They're nearly as good. <laughs> Well, it's it's great seeing uh, Douglas Adams, other works of Douglas Adams um, coming to you know television, and it's still such a great shame that we've lost him really so young in his life. It's actually we're approaching. I, I think it was two thousand and one that that we lost him, so we're approaching his tenth uh, anniversary of his passing, and he was only I, if I recall correctly forty nine. Yeah, I was going to say forty nine. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like forty nine or fifty, but I think it was forty nine. Yeah, I remember all the posts saying, "Yeah, poor guy, didn't even make." 50. I think he was, um, he'd been in a gym or something. He was abroad. Yeah, I heard he was like on a treadmill. Yeah. I went, you know, so here he is, you know, trying to do his body good, trying to, you know, keep in shape or whatever. And uh, it's just yeah. a shame. Yeah. There's a, well, never mind. I was, I was going to make a mention. There, there was a real interesting um, interview that he did just shortly before he passed away. But unfortunately, I don't. I don't I guess I should check YouTube and see if it's available on YouTube. He, um, it, there was a uh, a a it, the, the channel doesn't exist anymore. That's why I'm laughing to myself. <laughs> uh, Tech TV back in the day, they did a um, a series of they, they had a new series that they did an episode each, which they focused they focused on one particular person. They interviewed that person, and, and they did one on Douglas Adams. And this had to have been maybe about no more than six months before he passed. So it's um it's a good interview, and um, unfortunately, I don't know if, if you can find it anywhere, but if you can, grab it. Uh, and one last thing for me, not really to do much with uh, gently, but just to at least give uh, a shout-out to Den of Geek that um, actually got the story mm -hmm. out. So, I mean, yes. uh, there are places like that that real minds of information on the what's upcoming. Yeah, I like Den of Geek there. Um, that's a good site. And I believe it's um, based in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think it's not one I actually go to. And I think it was uh, uh, Graham Sheridan, in fact, that uh, spotted this one, wasn't it? I don't know. I I spotted it. Oh, <laughs> so I, oh. don't, I mean, he might Sorry, have spotted Graham. it, too. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been one of the other stories you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, uh, next up is um, another... <laughs> not all of these have connections with Doctor Who, but you can't... You know, you can avoid them. Doctor Who is such, such a um, 
a prominent show, especially now in the UK. So it's um, unavoidable. Another spinoff, we spoke about Torchwood, another spinoff of Doctor Who is the Sarah Jane Adventures. And we're now recording this at the very end of, I can't believe we're at the very end of August already. But so we're a few days away from September. And usually it's September or October that the new series of Sarah Jane begins, Sarah Jane Adventures. And we're up with series four coming soon. And we don't have an a you know a debut date to my knowledge when it's um, going to be premiered, but I would say soon. Yeah, on Digital Spy on one of the little forums there, they have a, a cult section in the forums, and somebody had posted that last year it started on the fifteenth of October, which was at like uh, the middle of uh, October on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. And this year, the Saturday falls on the sixteenth, so. Their best guess of the people that do this sort of thing is the 16th of October. And I've just noticed, I mean, I know... So uh, we're about like six weeks away. Yeah. Since this episode was recorded, it has come to light that the Sarah Jane Adventures Series 4 is said to be coming out on October 11th. 11th of October. It hasn't yet to be confirmed by the BBC or the CBBC, but that's word on the street or word that is being reported Sarah Jane Adventures Series 4 coming out along with (laughs) many other people coming out that day October 11th now we return to our previously recorded episode Uh, I've just noticed a theme here Lewis with Sarah Jane Adventures she's basically an investigative reporter that's right so we're basically got a very detective theme going on here that's right because we went from Sherlock and and also uh, CSI we went from so that was a an investigative yeah yeah, so much of it it, it's completely natural we didn't pre-plan this (laughs) it's spontaneous but yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so uh, doing some investigating ourselves, well, we it's common knowledge, actually, that we know um, that Katie Manning's going to make an appearance in this series of Sarah Jane Adventures. And if you remember, Katie Manning played Joe Grant, who was the Doctor's companion preceding Sarah Jane, you know, in, uh, you know, the John Pertwee era of Doctor Who. Yeah, I think there's some fans of Joe Grant that perhaps would prefer her to be in touch with... <laughs> Well, G- given her proclivities, but yeah, <laughs> if we have some Daleks in Torchwood as well, that would be. Uh... <laughs> uh, but I think there are more episodes. Are there twelve episodes this time? They seem to have gone up. So, because um, yeah, usually there's, there's usually only ten. So, right. and there's usually two parters. So you have, uh, you know, it's, it comes down to five stories, each one taking two episodes to tell. Yeah. So if, if there's twelve, I'm assuming there's six stories this time. And of course it's a return of Russell T. Davis to the Doctor Who universe. So yeah, so that's another interesting point is that, you know, even though Russell T. Davies is now in Los Angeles, he's is, I guess, you know, still involved with the Sarah Jane Adventures. So um he hasn't left Doctor Who completely. And obviously Torchwood as well. And Phil Ford, I think. Yeah, Phil Ford, who's uh, done a lot of work with, you know, Doctor Who, especially of late, you know, where, uh, you know, recent Doctor Who, but not so much with the Matt Smith series, but with the Russell T. Davies, you know, later half of the Russell T. Davies era. Yeah, and can I just strike off slightly from that? Uh, I mean, the, the uh, 
the Dr. Poncho was um, you were at uh, Galley last year, and I believe young Tommy Knight, who plays Luke Smith, came there. He was quite a hit over there, wasn't he? He's, uh, yeah, yeah. We have, um, and we do have an interview with him that will be coming up soon. But we're going to we're going to try to time that, you know, with the Sarah Jane, you know, relaunch. So we have we interviewed him and uh, Katie Manning. So uh, stay on tuned for that. That's coming soon. Excellent. Yeah, it was actually it was the last Gallifrey, so it was actually this year. But it, you know, I, when you say last year, Fe- yeah, sorry, February. Yeah, no, it's all right. It's almost last year. It's six, well, six months away. So, and we're six months to the next Gallifrey. So, oh, no. it's, I don't know where this time is going. It's must have. Well, it, I was going to lead into the next story, but I'm not sure if we had anything more to say about Sarah Jane. Uh, not really. Except I, I'm absolutely. We should be getting uh, a. A preview soon, sooner. But I mean, isn't this usually the time? I guess the beginning of September that we'll get like a something coming out, you know, a trailer coming out. The BBC. Well, then, uh, you can't call them trailers in the UK. The teasers aren't there. I mean, yeah, some of them last about ten seconds, twenty seconds. Uh, that was one of the disappointments of some of the um, the Matt Smith ones. They were great, but they were so, ever so short. You mm. barely. Oh, it's on! It's on! And uh, by the time you settle yourself in your sofa to watch it, it was gone. But, um, no, uh, well, hopefully we'll see something soon. Yeah. Hey, it's me from the future again. And yes, there has been a teaser that has been released since this episode was recorded. And Dave was especially right. It was very short. It's something in the long the lines of maybe 15 seconds. So, But if you want to see it, it's available on the GallifreyandEmbassy.org website. Or you can go to Podshock.net. Also, we'll bring you to the same place, and you can see it there under Sarah Jane Adventures. Uh, the other thing I was about to say was that, um, absolutely, I, again, I'm not shouting uh, the BBC's trumpet too much, because I do have some issues with their picture quality sometimes, but um, there's no doubt about it. To say, don't forget, we should differentiate between... I mean, we've been talking about some adult-themed shows, and, of course, we, we generally put Doctor Who in the family category. Mm-hmm. Sarah Jane, of course, is uh, very much firmly a children's program. Sure, yes. there. But on production values alone, you wouldn't say it was a children's program. Yeah, no, it's 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 been done very uh, much, you know, on the level of Doctor Who, really, you know, where you had... Um, I'm not... If I'm not mistaken, perhaps the mill was involved, uh, who did their effects for Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, I think there's only. Uh, uh, I think the Slovene were done slightly differently. Uh, mm-hmm. They used body suits instead of CGI, I think. And uh, but yeah, they do some cost-effective, you know, changes. But overall, the, the quality has been very good. And um, you know, and and it's even though it's a children's show, it's it's still done very intelligently, and it's it's not, you know. Yeah, many times uh, you will, especially here in the states, you will get children's shows where they start talking down to children, uh, you know, whatever. And I don't think that's the case here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I certainly watch it and enjoy it, and uh, love that it doesn't talk down. But uh, yeah, 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 same here. It's it's interesting. I mean, you have to appreciate it for what it is, though. I mean, and, and understand that it's a children's ser- series. So if you're going in there expecting to see Doctor Who, you, you're going to be disappointed. And if you're going in there expecting to see Torchwood, you're going to be very disappointed. So, but it's you know judge it for what it is, and it's it's it is what it is, and it's an enjoyable series, you know. And and there's growth in there too. So, and that's something that we spoke with Tommy Knight about was that his character 
has has been growing through the series. I mean, not he's actually physically been growing too, because <laughs> but <laughs> there's some growth within the characters as well. And the in- introduction of the young girl who plays Rani uh, yeah. has given it another another lift. I think. Mention sure. Well, uh, now we're going to go into some territory which, um, like Sherlock, which I'm not very familiar with, but Dave, you are, and I think you even have a clip again. And we're talking about The Deep, which is a um, not a science fiction series, uh, not not to my understanding, but it's um, it, it could be or could have been or yeah, it's it, it's almost a, it isn't a spoiler, but it's almost a spoiler to say it isn't science fiction because when you sit sat down, or I certainly did to watch the first episode, I was expecting it to have uh, extraterrestrial. Parts or, to it. or at least Solorians in it, or the Sea Devils. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, something. Uh, now it may turn to be a twist, but it, it seems not to go that way. Now I've got a, a little clip that I can play. Now um, it's a minute and a half long, so if you want to be absolutely safe, just skip two minutes ahead. Casper okay. to Hermes, are you receiving me? Over. This is Casper calling Hermes. Are you receiving me? Over. What's this? I wouldn't leave it on the bottom of the sea where Mum can find it. What's that initial course for last known location of Hermes? What else do you know about Catherine? About what happened? Nothing. You don't know anything else that might be down there? On my screen, 700 metres and closing, it's huge! Inside the biggest deep sea installation I've ever seen, anyone's ever seen. This is Russian. There were 150 men on Volos last night, and after you attacked us, there's just me and him. Hello? Catherine's work. I don't think you appreciate just how much danger she was in. You knew the Russians were down here. They killed my wife. I knew Catherine was down here. I knew her fine. It's really, um, uh, how to, it, it is somewhat disappointing in as much as the, the, well, there are five episodes. I think we've had four now. Uh, it takes to get to episode three before really you get a grip on what is happening. Now, some of that is because they're trying to create a mystery, but mm-hmm. some of it you feel as though uh, the mystery is not intentional. In other words, the mystery they're trying to keep is not very well clarified. I, you're not given any clues as to what it might be. But in other areas, you're given very simplistic dialogue. Uh, for instance, um, basically, uh, the James Nesbitt character, his wife had gone earlier, were under the Arctic, uh, that's the, under the North Pole, uh, where his wife has gone down in a submersible that was checking these these uh, vents that are deep under the sea. And there's some certain properties of these deep-sea vents. Now... A lot of people who are like you and me, that are both interested in science fiction and science, like James, think, well, actually, it's been formulated or postulated that these uh, these deep-sea vents are actually where life started. You know, not not life from the sun, 
but you know, microscopic life started. Sure. So there's always thought, you know, is it going to be a little bit like the abyss? You know, because you got that feeling of the film The Abyss, mm-hmm. and um, well, without seeing the clip that you just showed, it sounds like there's like a a underwater installation, which I don't know how it's like a st- underwater station, I think. Yeah, I- the, but the point is that this is supposedly supposed to be a no go zone for environmental reasons, and of course, the the Russians have been portrayed as the baddies in this particular one up to this point. So um, I, I would say that it is, you know, has science fiction elements in it. it. May not have extraterrestrials in it, but it does. It seems like it does have, you know, if there's underwater installations, it seems like it's a little bit further well, than where we are today. And it's you know. semi-future. Yeah, you could say it's pitched in ordinary today. I mean, the house that they live in looks, you know, like today. But you could imagine it's sort of like ten, fifteen years in the future. So. Mm-hmm. But I think you heard those people who listen to the clip. I won't say it now because they might be back listening to it. But you, you, you're told the origin of the the things, and um, I, I think some science fiction fans get disappointed when there's not, you know, a, a fantasy element or something a little bit more aspect of science. Because there's there's plenty of good science fiction out there that doesn't have that could be. Um, really just a, it's it's a science fiction setting like an example would be the movie outland if you ever seen that yes it's, uh, with Sean Connery. Connery. Yeah. the story itself doesn't it, it could be set anywhere no, or any time no, it's, it's, it's high noon yeah. it's in space it, it just happens to be set on you know in a extraterrestrial environment but there's no there's no extraterrestrials aliens beings in it or anything like that it's just uh but it's it's science fiction but it's not you know the, the, it's just it just set in the future. So. I think. It, I think what it was with this, they obviously spent a lot of money on it, so it looked good. You've got people like Minnie Driver, who's considered a film star rather mm-hmm. than a TV actress. You've got James Nesbitt, who was still being very much uh, appreciated from the. Uh, playing Jekyll, and he's absolutely fabulous yes. in Jekyll. Mm-hmm. And then I can, you, know, you might have to help which, me with this other name. Which is tied to Stephen Moffat as well. Everything comes back to Stephen Moffat. Right, yeah. <laughs> but there's this name, I think he was in Lost, is it? Goran I, I've I never, see, I, I, I haven't seen Lost, so I, I, as strange as that may be seen, may think, seem, because um, I know it's been a, a, a huge guy? hit here in the U.S., but it's uh, nothing. Uh, all the promotions for it didn't appeal to me, so it's just um, one of those, um, th- those things that it may be great, but I just, it just never attracted <laughs> me. Well, the thing is, the strange thing about this, he, he, he reminds me of um, that very tall actor from years and years ago, the cowboy, Clint, uh, oh, I've forgotten his second name now. The cowboy? Um, I, I don't know. It'll come to me. <laughs> Basically, I would say, yes, watch it. The dialogue is a little bit... Clint Eastwood? No, 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 before him. Uh, the very tall man is about six foot seven... He played the rifle, not the rifle man, or something like that. Okay. Anyway, forget it. Somebody write in, folks. <laughs> the 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 dialogue. I mean, for instance, one particular thing is these people have been training together to go on this mission for six months. The submarine that they're in goes underwater. It's been underwater two minutes, and it starts creaking and groaning, and this crew member's acting terrified. Well, if you've trained for six months in subs, you know that as soon as the pressure builds up, it's going to creak and think it's like an old woman. You know what I mean? It's going to make those... No, well, you know what I mean? no offence to old women. No, 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 but if, if you've ever seen any submarine, you know, U-boat 
films mm -hmm. in the past, you know that's what happens. I mean, she's supposedly trained for six months. So there were some things like that that didn't quite gel. By the third episode, it is getting better, and I am sticking with it. <laughs> Fantastic. But moving along, since Clint like Walker. I said, we are running short on time, so I, I just wanted to touch upon a couple other things uh, since our last show, is uh, that Ashes to Ashes <laughs> has returned, and, which is a spin-off series of Life on Mars, and it's uh, or not a spin-off but a sequel series to Life on Mars, and which I still have yet to see. It's I just oh. um, it's one of these things I really need to because uh, I love Life on Mars. Life on Mars is one of my favorites. The, the original Life on Mars, the proper Life on Mars, the UK version of Life on Mars. I'm talking about. It's one of my favorite series, so I, I definitely want to catch Ashes to Ashes. It's just um, it, it just seems like this. Well, maybe now is a good time to try to catch it because when it first came out, I, I was in the middle of Doctor Who, and then Sarah Jane, and then Doctor to you again and so it's I, I need to kind of catch ashes to ashes well you, so. you need to because the, the main actress Keely Hawks who plays uh, a woman who's actually read Sam Tyler's notes in the beginning uh, she gets she ends oh, up in be the careful of spoilers <laughs> well, no this is just a setup. okay so the, the point is when she she wakes up in the 1980s she knows the name Sam because she's she's actually looked at his notes you know, because she's another policeman. So I'm not going to give any of the story away. That's to say it's even more convoluted than uh, Life on Mars. And Keely Hawks is quite a good lead. She's got a, a strange voice that I find it difficult to, to hear what she's saying because she, she talks in this very breathy voice. Uh, but, of course, as ever, um, Gene, the Gene Hunt character is mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant by Philip Glenster. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's absolutely brilliant, and the supporting cast, you know, Ray and the others are all brilliant, and they have a young, new um, policewoman uh, because um, the, the character before White is not there anymore. You know, the 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 girl that befriended Sam, she's not there anymore, and the, this uh, somebody Montserrat, she's called this girl. Uh, she's she's uh, very much of the uh, the the time, and it really works. The whole story does completely pivot towards the end of the third series. Because remember, if you haven't seen it, there are three series to cover. So it's uh, quite a big thing, and uh, it moves somewhat away from the life on Mars original. And then right at the last two or three episodes, it comes right back and brings quite a bit of life on Mars back into the, the storyline and the writers are trying to say that, you know, they're bringing the whole universe to some sort of conclusion. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, So they yeah. just had their third series, right? This was, That's um, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the place to actually, if you, if you get really into this, the forum to go to is called the Railway Arms, because this is the pub that Gene Hunt and the gang go to. So if you go to the... The um, the Railway Arms Forum, they're, they're welcoming you with open arms. They're still talking about all aspects of uh, Ashes to Ashes and so on. There. And if I recall correctly, Life on Mars had uh, eight episodes per series. Is that the case here with Ashes to Ashes? Um, no, I don't think I've got that 
up. I think it's something like that. Certainly, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sorry for not being able to. But no, that's all right. I was just just um, one one aside to that. If you like the actress Keely Hawks, she's currently starring in another detective. Would you believe we're back to the detective? <laughs> that's theme. our theme. Yeah, she's in a, it's a Hitchhiker's Guide to to uh, I don't know to detective uh, agency. She's a, a modern detective this time, and the show is called Identity. Again, not science fiction. But she's heading up this new group, and it's all to do with uh, how identity theft is um, growing. So in each story, the identity theft is part of it. But there are some, um, you know, quite... um, Well, not graphic, but there are quite... um, It's not for young people, let's put it that way. Leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we'll move to something that is for young people, to my understanding. And, and again, it's another series which I really haven't seen. I, I think I've seen one episode when it was it was shown here in the States, either on the Sci-Fi Channel or, or something. And I think I might have seen at least part of it, which is Merlin, which uh, takes uh, which is a series that, that's about the young Merlin in it, and obviously from the name. <laughs> and they just had their third series as well on in, in the U.K., and uh, the the new series, from what I believe, again, I've not had this confirmed, but I've seen it on one site, that that is shortly to start, possibly on the 11th of September, which is basically not much more than a fortnight away. Yeah, Two weeks, sorry. Yeah, I, say, right. I say fortnight on some shows. And a lot of oh, well, I know what, know what you're I mean. talking about, but for the, for those uh, <laughs> that, that may not know, it's uh, typically uh, two weeks. Yeah. You can do the math yourself. It's the 11th of September. So, mm-hmm. um, and as well, far as I know, the, you know, the, the, the same I think cast... The, the, those in the U.S. will always remember the date, September 11th. Oh, <laughs> We'd love to do that. Uh, so, uh, yes, um, definitely um, more of a fantasy. And um, apparently the uh, the people that write about these things say it's sort of more styled on the sort of Smallville style of uh, storytelling, where there's sort of, you know, there's like the love triangle in amongst all the sort of stories, and there's a good bit of um, humour that, uh, again, pervades the whole series. And uh, it's certainly far better than that awful Robin Hood that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. But, of course, that wasn't science fiction. Merlin is most definitely fantasy. It, it always seemed to me, and again, I haven't seen it, but it, just from what I know, know of it, it seems like it's like TV's answer to the Harry Potter films. Is that yeah. safe to say? I would say so. Um, and, again, we've got a connection here. The, uh, the actress who was in uh, the Doctor Who uh, Planet of the Dead who played, um, I can never get the name of her, the, the, the one who steals things, Lady... Oh, uh, uh, um, yeah, she was the bionic woman. She's, um... That's right. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Where are you, James? <laughs> um, no. she, 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 she made a guest appearance on one of the early ones, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's certainly, um, grown. Let me just have a look at the episodes. Yes, there's, um, there was 13 in Series 1 and 13 in Series 2. Series 3... It will be episode 27. It hasn't got a date there, but it, I'm sure... I, oh, yes, it does. It says on the wiki page here, the third series will start a week earlier than usual on the 11th of September, 2010. Some guest stars. Oh, Amelia Fox. Now, I think she was in an earlier one. She played this sort of witch. Good. And, of course, it has... Um, 
the chap who played the librarian in Buffy. Mm-hmm. And wasn't isn't there an older gentleman there that the, the Giles, the one that played Giles in Buffy? Oh, okay. He plays the king. All right, okay. and he was also the the one that uh, was in um, the Doctor Who episode School Reunion. That's right, um, Anthony Head. That's it. Well done. Yeah, we got it between us. <laughs> All right. Well, the missing gaps will be filled in by James later on. <laughs> All right, well, um, we'll go from that children's, which is chiefly, maybe it's a family show, but I I, I assumed it was more of a children's show, um, to another one, which is not British, really. It's actually produced in, well, it has its roots in British TV, but it's uh, actually produced in Australia, but set in the U.K., and that's K9 the series, which we originally were going to do a review on it, but I think we're going to hold off on that. But we're mm. a great idea that that Dave actually had, which I um, I think it's a real great idea, is that uh, we want to encourage our listeners to uh, send in their response to K9 and their reviews and um, record something. Especially since it is a children's series, if you are a listener of um, let's say 16 or under, and you want to. Uh, participate in the show and give us your take on K9 the series because you know it's, it's one thing for us our old fuddy duddies is to um talk about K9 the series but it's uh, it it could be a completely different experience for for younger viewers so we want to get your take on what you think of K9 the series which is a a spin-off on of Doctor Who since K9 was originally um a character that had its um origins in Doctor Who and if they do it by audio, they'll be able to hear themselves on uh, yeah. related shows, you'll, no doubt. You'll get on the show, and you'll have the admiration of all your friends being on the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. And um, if you send in uh, something, let's just say, if you want to also include something that's not audio, let's say your artwork or whatever, we'll put it on our website. Brilliant. They always get an older brother. Well, at 16, they probably know the way around the computer better than us. So, uh, obviously, <laughs> if you do it with, uh, with, with standard materials, artistic materials, uh, and you've got a flatbed scanner or something in the house, I'll take a photograph with a digital camera. It's much easier to send it as um, a JPEG. I sure. assume there's, there's an email they'll be able to send that to. Yes, feedback at hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com. Once again, that's feedback at Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi.com. And speaking of the Hitchhiker's Guide, we mentioned earlier in this show the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is a work by Douglas Adams, and that's going to be our pick for Audible this episode. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment information and educational programming. Content from Audible is downloaded and played back on your personal computers, CDs, or iPod players, iPhones, etc. Audible offers over 80,000 hours of audio programs from over 270 content providers. That includes leading audio book publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazines, newspaper publishers, podcasters, and business information providers. Listen whenever and wherever you like, just like this podcast you listen to right now. Audible has over 1,100 science fiction and fantasy titles, more being added all the time. But it's not just that. They have over 75,000 titles to choose from in every genre, including science fiction, thrillers, business, history, and more. 
And for you listeners of the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial so you can have a chance to check out their service. Now, how cool is that? To download your free audiobook, simply go to audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap. A-R-T-T-R-A-P for your free audiobook. And you can select anything that they have to offer. We're going to make a suggestion, though. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, long before the recent movie, long before the TV series, long before the Infocom game, long before, even long before the books, there was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the radio series. That's where it all began, back on BBC Radio 4 in 1978. And what they have done was they have taken the radio series and put it into a audiobook created by Douglas Adams. It stars Peter Jones, Simon Jones, Jeffrey McGiven, Mark Wing Davey, Susan Sheridan, and Stephen Moore. These six episodes have been remastered to modern-day standards with newly recorded announcements by John Marsh. Let's hear a little bit from that now. This takes place in the very beginning of the story with our main character, Arthur Dent, while he's still on Earth. Come off it, Mr. Dent. You can't win, you know. Look, there's no point in lying down in the path of progress. I've gone off the idea of progress. It's overrated. But you must realise that you can't lie in front of the bulldozers indefinitely. I'm game. We'll see who rusts first. I'm afraid you're going to have to accept it. This bypass has got to be built, and it is going to be built. Nothing you can say or do... Why has it got to be built? What what do you mean, why has it got to be built? It it is a bypass. You've got to build bypasses. Didn't anyone consider the alternatives? There aren't any alternatives. Look, you are quite in time to make any suggestions or protests at the appropriate time. Appropriate time? Yes. The first I knew about it was when a workman arrived at the door yesterday. I asked him if he'd come to clean the windows, and he said he'd come to demolish the house. He didn't tell me straight away, of course. Oh, no. First he wiped a couple of windows and charged me a fiver. Then he told me... But, Mr. Dent, the plans have been available in the planning office for the last nine months. Yes. I went round to find them yesterday afternoon. You hadn't exactly gone out of your way to call much attention to them, had you? I mean, like actually telling anybody or anything. The plans were on display. And how many average members of the public are in the habit of casually dropping around the local planning office of an evening? Uh, (laughs) It's not exactly a noted social venue, is it? And even if you had popped in on the off chance that some raving bureaucrat wanted to knock your house down, the plans weren't immediately obvious to the eye, were they? That depends where you were looking. I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights had probably gone. So had the stairs. Well, you found the notice, didn't you? Yes. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard. Ever thought of going into advertising? It's not as if it's a particularly nice house, anyway. I happen rather to like it. Uh, Mr. Dent. Yes, hello. Uh, have you any idea how much damage that bulldozer would suffer if I just let it roll straight over you? How much? None at all. None at all. I want to hear the rest of that. I know what happens next. Well, that's it's, it's great. It, if you haven't heard this before, do yourself a favor and listen to the original radio series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You won't be sorry. You won't regret it. It's, it is where it all began. And um, you can see how 
the story has matured and changed over the years because it has reappeared in different formats. As I said, there was a television series and there were books and there were the Infocom games and then there was a, most recently a feature film production of it. And in each uh, version of it, it's slightly different. So once again... You can download your free audiobook today by going to audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash arttrap, A-R-T-T-R-A-P, for your free audiobook. This episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi has been brought to you by its sibling show, Doctor Who Podchock. Now celebrating five years, it's the longest-running Doctor Who podcast featuring in-depth coverage of all things Doctor Who with interviews, reviews, commentary, and news. Check it out at gallifreyandembassy.org or podshock.net. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it now. I, you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah, we blew that. <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? Who are you? Once again, you can find Doctor Who Podshock on iTunes or simply going to gallifreyandembassy.org or podshock.net. It's hosted by Ken Deep, James Norton, and myself, Louis Trapani. Presented by the Gallifrey Embassy and produced by Art Trap Productions. All right, well, we're going to conclude, and we're, we're going to conclude with is with a portion of a interview that we just had in Dr. Upanchak. Now, I realize a lot of our listeners are also listeners of Dr. Upanchak, but not all of them are, and some of you, as odd as it may be for Dave and I, may not have any interest in Dr. Who, so you don't listen to Dr. Upanchak, but you are interested in other British sci-fi, and to that end, one of the staples of British science fiction, is, uh, which unfortunately isn't getting much love today, is uh, Blake 7, which was a staple back in the late 70s and early 80s in uh, in the UK. And then in the 80s, um, it made its um, stamp here in the U.S. on PBS stations. It's a great series, and a lot of modern science fiction series owe a lot to it. And I'm speaking of Farscape and Fire, Firefly and uh, many others that have similar concepts going on that Blake 7 pioneered. And one of the recurring characters on um, on Blake Seven is a character named character named Travis, who is an adversary to the to the Blake Seven crew, and it was played by two actors, similar to uh, you know like the Master, where you had Roger Delgado playing the first incarnate. Well, it wasn't the first regeneration, but one of the the first one that we've seen on the series. So, though with Blake Seven, they're not Time Lords, so they don't regenerate, so they just replace the actor. But the second actor to play Travis is Brian Croucher, who was uh, also in Doctor Who, The Robots of Death, and that's why we had him on our show, Doctor Who Podshock. But uh, we're going to play a portion of the interview that relates to Blake Seven. Since And if you want to hear the whole interview, catch 
the latest Doctor Who Pontchok, number 219. It's av- available now. Um, you'll get to hear the whole interview there, but we're going to play the part of the interview that relates to Blake 7. So here is Ken Deep, James Norton, and myself on Doctor Who Pontchok, speaking with Brian Croucher. And joining us by phone, a man who's a legend in the sci- British sci-fi community. He's been in Doctor Who and Robots of Death, and he played Travis on Blake 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. Brian Croucher to the show. Ah, good evening. Good evening here. It's good day to the rest of the world, and it's welcome to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, and thank you on. so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the show, and a happy birthday to to your wife, by the way, who's generously allowing us to take a few minutes out on her day for you to record with us. Yes. That's right. Uh, anybody who wants to find my other half can can uh, can uh, go on to Google, can Google her. Her name is Christina Balit. She writes wonderful children's stories and illustrates them. Fantastic. And that's B-A-L-I-T. Fantastic. And I will be taking her to have a Lebanese meal in uh, uh, half an hour's time. We're going <laughs> to go to have Lebanese yum, yum, yum. But to matters me, it's me now. I've done with her. It's her birthday. <laughs> her it is my podcast. Me. Indeed. <laughs> That's right. Now with the, with the DVDs coming out of things like Doctor Who and Blake 7, do you... Do you get any reaction to it? Do people now say, "Oh, I, you know, it's great. I, I bought this DVD." Do you get recognized on the street? Uh, I, I can't say I do that much. I mean, not just, not for that, especially not with that makeup on. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't walk around with an eye patch on. And your black eye patch. Yeah, no, no. I've got, I've got two eye patches. They're called they're called shades. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, no, no, but it was it was just um, our friend uh, who I met on this uh, Buller film. On, yes, Joshua yes. Freeman, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're going to be in Buller. And, uh, you know, like, we were talking and he was asking what I'd, I'd been doing in the last 40 years or so, and I, I mentioned a few things, and then he got on to that, and I, and I said, Blake Seven and, you know, Doctor Who and Quatermass and uh, all those sort of uh, all those sort of sci-fi things, and he he, he had an orgasm. <laughs> he said, "That's how Josh." He was like, "He said you almost he was, he was absolutely flabbergasted." We hope he was. We hope that he didn't bother you too much with many quotes from Robots of Death. I, I would. I'm amazed that, but but people they watch them and uh, you know because uh, they can remember every line. There's a great quote from uh, Blake Seven that I always remember. Travis, it's a great illusion. It's all a great illusion, and quite possibly it might well be. Mm. I mean, I, you mm. could be you could be speaking from another galaxy. I wouldn't know. And I said, there's a, there's a small chance I might be doing this from another galaxy. And <laughs> is there any correlation as far as you getting the role of Travis? Was it perhaps Chris Boucher or David Maloney or somebody who may have seen you or worked with you in Doctor Who? No, it, it wasn't actually that. It, it, I, I'd recently 
been in a, um, a six-part series called Out, O-U-T, Out, um, which was a sort of a, it was, um, it was a gangster, it was a gangster series, uh, but it was based on uh, gangsters who are real people, and they, I've been quite successful. I played the second lead in that, and it, it was almost, it was almost like The Sopranos, but in, in English style, because you know you were seeing mm. these people, not as gangsters, but as real people with families and mothers and girlfriends and children, you know. And they'd seen that. I made a success in that, and. Um, David asked me in for a meeting and uh, then offered me the part because, um, as you know, um, Stefan Greif, um, he did the one series and then moved on. And don't ask me why he moved on, but he's most probably... <laughs> if he, I think he liked David Maloney, but I think he also liked to pound note more than... <laughs> when you, don't when pay you... lots of money, so. When you come into a, a series where someone else has already played the role, do you do you look back at all at what he did, or do you just pretty much take it right from your impression of what the character should be? Uh, yeah, you have to um, you have to got, you have to use what you've got available. I, I couldn't use what Stephen had available or any other actor. After all, you know they say action, and then it's you. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. They, I think they, they needed to draw a line between Stephen's, uh, Stephen's character and the one that I was starting to uh, create. And they gave me a slightly different costume and a simplified eye patch. Um, mm. and, and then we went to work. Um, and uh, I just, I mean, I've always said that uh, any drama is, is earth-based. Sci-fi uh, is one thing, but you, you can only use what you've got Earth-based. So I, he was a military man, so that's the way I approached it. He was clean-cut military, didn't didn't worry too much about the danger, quite aggressive, and then we moved forward. There, there seems to be through the the second series of of Blake Seven, and as you get settled into the part, you play it very much like that like, like a, as a military man but then does he start to and was this deliberate does he start to mentally become unhinged well i i guess what what we were trying to do and what was written was and from uh, jacqueline's point of view who was as it were my boss uh the frustration of always losing a blake uh well that was supposedly the raison d'etre for me to be in the series to kill Blake for the uh, horrific injuries that he'd, uh, he'd forced upon me. So uh, I guess there was an element of frustration uh, that, built, that came into the stories. And uh, you know, it's like uh, all these thriller aspects to, uh, you know, there he was, and then you go around the corner, he's not there anymore. Sort mm. of thing. And, and also, when when you can't pull off the deal for your governor, they get <laughs> upset, and then you get upset, and you're passing it on down below, you know. And that that's how it was always. It will. It's always the nearly episode, really. We nearly got him. Yeah, there's an episode called Gambit, where uh, the one with the the casino, and and you are sort of the bodyguard for 
Dennis Carey's character of Dockley. And in that episode, I noticed that there seems to be almost at, at that point, the character lets go. He's still looking to, to, to go after Blake and he still wants to avenge himself. But you start to, it seems like this is the first time the character seems to slip, that it's not purely this military man, that he's just become a bit unhinged. And, uh, and you're given a hat and a, and a cape in that episode, and you really just go to town with it. You know, it's so difficult to, because every episode was like a spectacle, um, because it, it it demanded different costumes, different sets, different scenarios, different planets, whatever you would call it. Uh, so it didn't always show you a through line. I mean, if if I lived on a housing estate and, uh, you know, I was unemployed and I had six children and my wife was dying of cancer, please God she's not, and, uh, you know, I'd know what my through line was, that I'd have to go out uh, to get money to look after my family, I'd know that, and I'd do anything. But it, but it, somehow I I know that scenario. But they they changed every episode, mm. um, and there were different writers. So I think I think the episodes had a very tenuous connection in terms of the story, um, um, the through line. Uh, mm-hmm. After all. Um, I, I knew what my through line was, as I've explained it to you earlier. But uh, I, I think I think it it was they lost sight a little bit about what, what it was all about. I don't know. No, you... Maybe maybe, uh, maybe you you viewed it um, closer quarters. You could t- you could tell me. Well, you obviously have because you you're, you're explaining to me. Much like Robots of Death, I I bought a European DVD player just so that I could buy the Blake 7 DVDs because they're not available in the United States. And it's one of my favorite shows. And you were the first Travis that I saw, by the way. I I, I started with the second and the third seasons when they were broadcast here in, in America in the 80s. So my impression of Travis is always you, first and foremost. You set the template for me. And so I judged. Stephen's performance against yours, where I think many fans who watched it chronologically did the reverse. Yeah. So you always have a special place in my. To me, you're Travis, and so, and I bought the DVDs to watch them, be able to watch them again and again, which we do. Uh, science fiction fans are very loyal about those things. I know our our time is pretty much just wrapping up, and I wanted to say thank you. Yes. For, uh, for taking a little time and thank you to your wife for allowing you to take a little bit of time out to come and, and talk with us and, and in the future we hope we, perhaps you can join us again if that's all if if, if it's not your wife's birthday <laughs> yeah, no no I, I, I'm always happy to chat to anybody Kenny it, it, uh, it lasts boring enough you know mm. you're not so boring as as boredom, if you know what I mean. Glad <laughs> 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 well, getting higher on that scale. Anybody, anybody has any? I don't know if, if people have still have these conventions, sci- sci-fi conventions, Doctor Who, uh, Blake Seven, whatever conventions. We would love always, to see I'd you here in the state. The pond. If anybody would like to invite me and come across as a guest of honor. 
we'll, we're going to make a few phone calls on your behalf because we'd love to see you here in the United States come and, and reminisce and get a chance to meet face-to-face. It's been absolutely fantastic speaking with you and, and having a chance to, uh, to start the dialogue. Uh, Kenny, you're too kind. Thank you very much, mate. I can call you a mate now because we've spoken. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and anybody that might be listening to this in the near future, uh, stay cool. Stay yes. cool. Stay cool. Yes. Awesome. Wish, wish your wife a happy birthday for us and, and let her know that we want to interview her on your birthday. Twenty <laughs> <laughs> yeah, third of January. Okay. Thank it's you. a date. Yeah. Okay, you too. Okay. Cheers. Okay, guys, thank you so much, now. Brian. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye, bye. Bye, Kenny. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We thank Brian Croucher for taking his time for this interview. Once again, you can find the complete interview with Brian Croucher on Doctor Who Podchock, episode 219, where he also talks about his role in Robots of Death, the classic Doctor Who story, and his upcoming feature, Bulla, which also stars Doctor Who Podchock correspondent Joshua Lou Friedman. Yeah, and there are also some audio uh, adventures that they did in Blake 7. The one that comes to mind is a sevenfold crown and one or two others, but they they did do some audio adventures. Yeah, there's new audio adventures. There's also uh, Blake Seven, uh, the original cast of their radio adventures, and then now there have been new. It's been a, a reboot or a re, uh, remake of Blake Seven with new actors telling this tale of Blake Seven. So you can find Blake Seven in audio and. Uh, unfortunately, I heard there's some, you know, there's been some efforts about getting Blake Seven back on, on TV again, and there have been a lot of stumbling blocks on that. So, hopefully, we'll get some good news coming from that. But so far, it's just been a rocky road. I think that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. And I want to thank Dave for spending uh, the a little bit more than an hour with us today, and on this episode so welcoming you back to the fold here on Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi and we'll try to you know get these episodes out on a monthly basis and so thank you Dave once again been a pleasure I I have that magic element of turning a half hour one into a one hour one (laughs) well it's always a delightful time regardless and you can find Dave on a regular basis on his own podcast, which he does with Ian Bissett, the Cultum Collective podcast, which is on TalkShoe ID 54821. Once again, that's the Cultum Collective podcast on TalkShoe ID number 54821. They discuss a whole range of different topics covering all different aspects of, of science fiction and fantasy. Check it out. So until next time, cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. Send feedback to feedback at hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com. To support this podcast, please visit hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com or arttrap.com and hit the donate button. It's the only way we can bring you this show. You can also visit the shop there for your Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi swag, which includes shirts, mugs, and assorted trinkets with the show's logo. If you're not already a listener, be sure to listen to our Doctor Who podcast, Doctor Who Podshock, at thegallifrenemacy.org or podshock.net. This is Louis Trapani. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Louis Trapani. You can follow Dave Cooper at twitter.com slash DaveAC. Visit arttrap.com for more on this and other podcasts. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions.